Before we come to the table this morning, we are in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. John the Baptist, messenger of the king. We'll read, read that part and then we'll pray. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this was the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bring fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children of Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Father, we thank you for the life of John. Lord, that he was faithful in his commission. What an example. Oh, Lord, I pray that you use the word of God to call some more to repentance even today. And Lord, as believers, we might be stirred up to be single-focused, single-minded about pleasing you about being ambassadors for Christ that just point to you, Lord Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You'll notice in the book of Matthew, as Matthew presents the king, that he doesn't have a story about where John came from, his lineage. I'm thankful we have Luke because we have some more information about him. But that's because what's important about the messenger is the message. John's message is, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John lived in the wilderness. You go to Israel, if you've been there before, you knew that Judean wilderness is a rough place. It's kind of like going over here to Wheatland in the Sabil Canyon and the canyon there, uh, the Cooney Hills and all those foothills that are over there. It's just high desert and rock. That's what Judea is like. And there's water here and there, but it's wilderness. And that's where John lived. And he came out and he preached, repent. Greek word is metanoia, means to change your mind, change direction. The children of Israel were looking for Messiah. Those that hadn't unhooked from the Old Testament yet, you'll get that if you were here for the Bible conference. You know, there's a big, big kind of movement among some of the pastors in America today. Well, just leave the Old Testament behind. No, no. The old, the new is in the old concealed. The old is in the new revealed. And so John came preaching repentance. Now, if they've been reading their Old Testament, those that were still faithful, like John's parents, they could count the years and know that the time for Messiah was almost there. Those that knew John's parents knew what his job was. In that little town where he was born, all of the relatives knew. Both of the Messiah was, was born and that John, what his job was going to be. But they thought their problem was political. A lot of Christians today think that. 
I think that all the problems would be solved if we just had right government, if we just have the right Supreme Court, the right president, just so we could have peace. When Jesus promised peace in every circumstances, he said, my peace I give you, not as the world gives. What do they give? Circumstantial. If you have enough money, you have good government, then you can have peace. But he said, I came that you have, might have peace and have it more abundantly. That's supernatural peace. That's peace in every circumstance. But the Israelites thought, we just need a change of government. So they looked at the Messiah that is coming the second time to come the first time and get rid of Rome. But John said, no, we need to prepare the way for the Messiah. Hearts are wrong. One of the big problems they could see, and I'm sure everybody dealt with it, those that were yearning for the Messiah to come, was just not to look at Rome, but to look at their own rulers, those that ruled in the synagogues and those that ruled at the temple. Now, over that 400 years that was silent from Malachi until Jesus came, until John started preaching, there was no prophet. He's the last Old Testament prophet. And they had developed two different parties within the community. You had the liberals, the Sadducees, they ran the temple, and they controlled everything that was going on there. Then you had those that were conservative, kind of like Republicans and Democrats, and they were the Pharisees, and they had their own subgroups that met together, and they couldn't stand each other. But there's one thing they hated together, and that's Jesus when he showed up. But the people's hearts were ready for relief. Again, not just from Rome, because they had a bunch of thugs running the temple. And they had a system, and they were making themselves rich. Now, the religious people didn't like the publicans. Why? That was Jewish people that had taken on Rome or were cheating people to get rich and off of taxes. So you would buy, we talked about this before, about Matthew. He was one of those guys. You would buy a franchise, and then in your district, you'd pay for the franchise. Then all, everything else that you got was yours. So you charged people for taxes, and they lived off of the work of the people. So people couldn't stand them. But you know what? You couldn't even go to temple and find justice and find honor and integrity because it was a bunch of thugs running the temple. And they had permission from Rome. Rome says, as long as you keep the peace. But you know, you'd have to go to the temple supposedly three times a year. Well, people were so discouraged, it became maybe a once-in-a-lifetime deal. Three times a year, every man was supposed to present himself to the temple. But it was such a weariness. It was such a problem. Their own people were robbing them. So if you live close enough to bring your own sacrifice, you'd bring a sacrifice. And the, the Old Testament said it had to be inspected. It couldn't have any defects. Well, guess what? Nothing passed. For, for a reduced rate, you can sell this not passing animal to my brother Reuben over here which will sell it to another guy tomorrow at twice the rate. So none of the animals passed. They made money off of that concession. But then you had to use temple money. So you had to change it from wherever you were coming from into temple money, and they made money at that. That's why Jesus went in, and he turned the money changers tables over because they had turned what was supposed to be the place of prayer for the Gentiles into a place of robbing their own people. And the people were weary, and Jesus saw the people as, as sheep that were scattered without a shepherd. No one was looking out for them, and the people were heavy, and they were being just worn out. And so he said, 
you need to repent. Now, if you look at Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, it says there, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. That was John's purpose. His purpose was to call for people to repent and to point to the light. In John chapter 1, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So what? You need a messenger. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness, to point to the light that all men might believe. So he was there to prepare the way. Well, in Malachi, we see the purpose of the messenger because the people's hearts were wrong. Malachi chapter 3, the last word of the prophet before 400 years of silence says behold i'm going to send my messenger he will clear the way before me and the lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight behold he is coming says the lord of hosts so the people that knew the word would say it's time when you look at the book of daniel the years are almost fulfilled their weight was heavy they're ready to be delivered but malachi goes on He will sit as a smelter and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi. And I'm sure the believers would say, oh, please purify our priesthood. They are a mess. But it goes on to say, he will purify the sons of Levi, refine them like gold and silver, so they may present to the Lord offerings in in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing As in the days of old, as in the former years, I will draw. But the Bible says, who can stand when he comes? Who's going to be able to stand? You know, it's nice taught, refining silver and gold, but what does that take? It takes heat, it takes fire, it takes judgment. And so John came preaching repentance to prepare the way. Now, when a a king was coming to one of his cities, they'd send people out to clear any obstructions so that there couldn't be robbers waylay the caravan, make sure the road is smooth, and make sure the people are ready. Jesus gave those same instructions in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and 25 when he talked about the end times, and he said, be ready. Don't be like the foolish virgins that should have been ready, but they didn't have their lamps trimmed. They didn't have oil in their lamps. They weren't ready. So they were left behind to the fella that was just distracted. I've got to go do this. I've got to do that. Distracted. So they weren't ready. Or for those that got to the wedding late and they didn't have garments for the wedding and they weren't a part. They were shut out. We need to be ready. So John is that messenger to prepare the way. And it says, "Who who can stand when he comes? Who can endure the day of his coming? Verse 4, we see the prophet's appearance. Now, John was something to behold. There are three that we know of, probably more than this, but there were three lifetime Nazarites. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, if somebody just wanted to set themselves aside for the Lord and just give themselves to the Lord, maybe they wanted to find out what God was doing in their life or just honor the Lord, they would take the Nazarite vow. 
So the Lord spoke to Moses. He said, speak to the sons of Israel, number six, one through eight. When a man or woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite to dedicate himself to the Lord, he shall abstain from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar, whether made from wine or strong drink, nor shall he drink any grape juice or eat fresh or dried grapes. All the days of his separation, he shall not eat anything that is produced by the grapevine from the seeds even to the skin. All the days of, of his vow of separation, no razor shall pass over his head. He shall be holy unto the days that are fulfilled, which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall let the locks of his hair and his head grow long. All the days of his separation of the Lord, he shall not go near a dead person. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or his mother, for his brother or for his sister, because of his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy to the Lord. Now, we know that John was anointed by the Lord from the, before the time he was born. When Mary came to visit her cousin Elizabeth because she'd heard about this miraculous birth that was going to take place, as soon as the baby, John the Baptist, and his mother heard the voice of Mary, he leaped in the womb. God just made him do that. And all the days of his life, we know of three, Elijah, Samson, and John the Baptist. We know that when Samson broke his vow, God left and he was left without the strength, supernatural strength he had before. But the purpose wasn't for strength for the most part. Being a Nazarite was purpose that you were just telling everybody, I'm just for God's purposes. That's it. Now, you don't have to grow your hair long and never cut your beard. But if you're a believer... Know this, you've been set aside for God's purposes. That's why God calls you saints. In Psalm 16, the writer of the Psalm, David says, As for the saints who are in the earth, they are all my delight. That's where he takes joy. And you know who that is? That's you and me. We're saints. Even those people that were at Corinth with all their problems were called saints. You're set aside for the Lord. When you saw John coming... You can see now why he was something to behold. It says there in verse 4, we know because he was a Nazarite set apart from birth that he never cut his hair. So how long is his hair? I don't know if he looked like Cousin It, you know? Remember Cousin It? Just kind of a nose stuck out, and that's all you saw. Long hair, probably down to his knees. Long beard. And then his clothing was made from camel's hair. Now, that's not camel skin. But on the hump and the neck of a camel, there are these long fibers that they could take and weave into cloth. So it was kind of heavy like, you know, burlap, like wearing a heavy pair of those uh, uh, working jeans, you know. And uh, probably a little, not quite as tight as that, but it would last a long time. Very practical. Wasn't stylish, just practical. And a leather belt to kind of hold it all together. And then it says about his diet that he ate locusts and wild honey. Now, I'm sure John ate other things besides that in his life, but if you run into somebody that eats bugs, that's what you're going to remember about them too. Now, the, the, the wild honey, that, that's a good thing. I love honey. There's a honey they sell over at uh, Walmart now. I can't remember the name of it. I'm not an advertisement, so it doesn't matter, but it's got the honeycomb in it. The Bible says the word of God is sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. So I can get in to eat that wild honey. I guess that's why all the had all his hair to protect him from getting, stealing the honey from the bees. But 
he ate insects. Now, locusts, grasshoppers, were clean food. But what was he? He was a, he was a mountain man. He lived in the hills of Judea, and he learned to survive on his own. And remember, when his parents had him, they were old. They were past childbearing age. They were over 60. I can imagine having a baby at 60. I would like that. That'd be good. But my wife is not into that, right? Because I know what I do with my own grandchildren at my age. My daughter-in-law, Kat, was going to leave Harrison with us one time. She says, now... Now, Papa, when he's bad, you spank him. I said, oh, no, no, no. You got what you got with your husband. We're done with spanking. I'm just going to give you reason to spank him. I'm not here to spank that child. I'm here so that, that young man, and I told Harrison this. Harrison, you need to know, tell all my grandkids this. Nobody's ever going to treat you better in life, even your own parents, than your grandpa. <laughs> just know that. That's my job. So can you imagine these older people having finally this child they've been waiting for all of their life. They have a supernatural birth, and he has a supernatural purpose. Oh, the apple of their eye. But you know, they don't get lost just in the emotion. They take serious. The Bible says in Luke chapter 1, verse 80, and the child continued to grow and to become strong in the spirit and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. His parents wanted to do everything they could do to prepare him to be the great messenger of God. So they separated him from culture and he learned how to survive. A lot of guys, we kind of like that, you know. If you're growing up, if you read about that, that, that kid that went out by himself with a, with a hatchet and a knife and hollowed out a tree, and he's called My Side of the Mountain, I think, and he learned how to survive, and we like that. But it wasn't just so he could learn how to survive and eat grasshoppers. It was so he was separate from culture that he didn't develop the appetites for the things that we can develop appetites for. See, Jesus said we're to be in the world, not of the world, but it's pretty hard growing up in the world. You talk to kids, good Christian kids, and guys, you talk to guys, they know what kind of hot rod they want to drive, and they know what food they like to have and they 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 know what clothes they like they like to look cool and what kind of shoes they wear nothing wrong with those things but Jesus said don't seek for those things don't let those things be the thing of your life he said consider the birds of the air they don't have barns and God provides for them consider the flowers of the field Solomon, all of his glory was never dressed as beautiful as they are, and yet one day they're beautiful, the next day they're cast into the fire. Don't you think God knows how to take care of his children? What a blessing, isn't it? Charles Spurgeon said about children, they don't belong to the state, they don't belong to you, they belong to God, and God knows how to take care of his children if you trust them. But see, they want to make sure that he wasn't affected because they didn't want anything to affect that message so john came out of the wilderness and he was something behold maybe a little scary i don't know if he's a big man i don't know if he can get big eating grasshoppers i'll tell you this i studied it this week and there's more protein in grasshoppers than there is in steak did you know that it's like 60 percent protein compared to 20 percent i still like angus they say that if you prepare them and you a little cut, twist their head off, the intestines come out, you can fry them up, you can eat them raw. Um, 
Tastes like chicken. <laughs> but John was known for that. He didn't do anything that was unclean his whole life. Now, he had a very short ministry. His whole life was preparing for these few months that he would prepare the way, and then his life was over. But in heaven, John doesn't regret anything. The whole ministry of his life was he must increase, I must decrease. That's a call for every believer. And so he had a message that had a platform of believability. He had one job, point to Jesus, nothing distracted. And the people were ready for a prophet. What was the effect, the response, verses 5 through 10? Then Jerusalem was going out to meet him in all Judea and all the district around the Jordan. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan as they confessed their sins. You know what they did? Same thing we do at baptism. Baptism isn't just about getting wet. It's about giving that testimony. That testimony is the fruit that something's happened in your life. And whether you grow up in a gang or you grew up in a Christian home, there's a miracle that has to take place where the second verse of amazing grace is true. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. And whether you grew up in Sunday school or in the street, there's a point in every person's life that they have to come to. They realize that I'm lost. I'm a sinner. And Jesus can save. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Even The faith to believe is a gift from God. That first moment that you realized that you were lost, that was God's goodness in your life. Because what follows quickly behind is also the belief that Jesus saves. And the Bible says in Romans 10, 13, whoever realizes that believes with their heart, confesses with their mouth, and calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. That's his guarantee. That's his covenant with you because he finished the work of salvation on the cross. And these people came out. You see, Jews didn't get baptized. That was for Gentiles that wanted to become a part of the Jewish nation. So this was totally different. John was asking them to get out of their comfort zone, identify with unworldly, sinful Gentiles what they had to do, and bring a testimony. Well, there was such a movement of people. And think about it. He didn't show up at Jerusalem. That had been convenient. The people had to leave and go a day's journey, clear down to the Jordan. So he baptized along the Jordan River. And they had to go down there and find him. They had to find where he was at, hear the message, and then give a testimony that I was was religious. I had a form of godliness, but I had no power. And I want what you're preaching, John. I need to change my ways I'm looking to God to do that. And then he baptized. Well, there was such a number of people going out. You know, in every movement of God, there's always a mixed multitude. Chuck Swindoll points that out. Whenever God's doing work, there's always a mixed multitude. When God delivered the children from Egypt, a mixed multitude came out. And they caused a lot of trouble in the wilderness, didn't they? Sometimes God had to get some stones. Somebody had to open up the ground and swallow people up whole. The Bible says they fell alive down into hell. Boom, it was over. Mixed multitude. And John is saying to Israel, you're a mixed multitude. You need to get your heart right before God. It's not enough to be a part of the synagogue or part of 
worship at the temple. God's looking at your heart. And then, because it was such a big movement, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, remember, they hate each other, but they love the preeminence. They loved somebody to say, oh, here comes Dr. Big Britches. Oh, look at his fine clothing. Oh, he's going to pray. Everybody stop. He's going to pray. Oh, wow. He's going to give a gift. Blow a horn. Everybody watch. He writes out his big old check, puts it in the, in the offering. Everything's about external. John was not impressed. You got to love John. He was not going along with what was happening. Well, they went out because they wanted to get in front. They didn't like the idea of repentance, but they thought, well, I, we need to get this out because what if we lose our following? What if everybody starts listening to John gets a heart right and they don't need this anymore? They'll start doing things right. They'll start calling us on all our wickedness, so we better join the movement. What does John say? He sees them get in line for baptism and he calls them out. Hey, who warned you snakes to flee from the wrath to come? Oh, John, that's not politically correct. We don't, we don't talk to people that way. That's just not nice. John was more concerned about their soul than he was what they thought of him. Have you come to that place in your life? Listen, peer pressure is huge. Young people kill themselves to get what people say about them on the internet. You see, if you learn to fear the Lord, you don't have to be afraid of anybody else. John was fearless. He loved the Lord, his God, with all of his heart, with all of his life, so that he had the platform to be able to say, hey, stop, snakes. No, no. You're going to get baptized. We're going to hear your story. Now, some people say, now, Paul, I would just like to have a private baptism. Scripture doesn't know about private baptism because Jesus died publicly on the cross. And maybe some of them were trying to get in line and say, hey, John, could you uh, just, have, we'll, we'll come later and... Uh, We'll have a little private thing, you know, so I can say I was baptized by John. No, no. He says, you bring a public profession of faith. Why? Because that's powerful. See, that's not about you. That's why it's so important that you give a testimony because your testimony, whether you grew up in Sunday school or the street, is a testimony, the miracle of God that brought you from darkness to light. And sometimes, you know, people are more fearful. Everybody's going to be looking at them like you're looking at me today, and they're going to expect something. What if I mess up? And I tell people, listen, what you have to share is from your heart. It's so powerful. There's somebody sitting out there that needs to hear your story. That's why it wasn't enough just to get in line and get dunked, but to tell the story of how God reached down and touched your heart and showed you were lost. This morning after the first service, a young man came up. He said, I need to talk to you, Pastor. I just, I'm feeling so lost. I said, Glory, hallelujah. That is the first step of salvation, man. And he bowed in humility and received Jesus Christ as his Savior. What a joy. I didn't do that. John didn't do this. He was just recognizing what God had already done in their life. And so they brought a testimony. And he said, don't even start with me. Don't think you can say, no, 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 no. I'm a child of Abraham because God is able to raise up stones to be children of Abraham. And he said, I want to tell you something. It's beginning. The refiner is here. The ax is already laid, the trees. We're going to start clearing the way for the king. And if you don't bring forth fruit, 
you're going to be thrown in the fire. It's time for decision. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the testimony of John who just feared you. And he spent his whole life doing what you called singleness of purpose. This one thing he did, point people to Jesus. Oh Lord, stir us up to that as your children. That in everything we do, we seek for the opportunities to be ambassadors for you as though Christ were begging through us, we reconciled to God. And Lord, for those that are here that may not know you as Savior, that today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, today would be the day. They recognize their lostness. And Lord, you shine the light of eternity in their heart that they have hope that they can trust you as their Savior, even today. Now, Lord, as we gather around the table and we remember everything we have, everything we are is because of Jesus. Convict us of sin, lest unconfessed that we might come with clean hands. And Lord, the testimony that is here for those that not believe is that our life is because of the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.